Bookers, come on down! You have stumbled upon a pot of word salad at the bottom of a sometimes inappropriate rainbow. At the controls are indie authors Sintra Sullivan, Kay Banning Kellum, and David Atherton Cooper. I'd like to say they know what they're doing, however, as the official voiceover guy, I have sworn an oath of fealty. Welcome to the What the Book podcast, where scripts and pants are optional. Hi, bookers. Welcome to our 13th episode. 13th episode. Spooky 13th, unlucky 13th, lucky 13th for some. First off, right off the bat, hi, David. Um, and hi, hey. our, of course, our two, uh, our co-hosts, our the three of us, the triple threat. Are we a triple threat, boys? Oh yes, we oh definitely, definitely a triple threat. Right off the bat, happy Mother's Day to all our bookers who are mums, mums to be, mothers-in-law, grandmothers, uh, angel mums. Well, they're not the ones listening. Oh, maybe they could be. I don't know. Um, our fur mums and, of course, mum dads for the dads who do mum's jobs as well, which there are a lot of. So happy Mother's Day to our listeners. Um, I hope that you got spoilt today and made to feel wonderful. So today we are talking about superstitions, myths, and how they can lead into the horror genre. Well, oh, yeah. Of course, it's right up Caleb's alley. Oh, you um, know it. That is my yeah. bread and butter right there. Absolutely. Our king of schlock and all things spooky is our Caleb. So superstition right off the right off so if you're going for definition is a belief that is not based on human reason or scientific knowledge but is connected with old ideas about magic. That's the technical definition of a superstition. I like to just get that out there to start off with. Because mm-hmm. I'm one of lots of people. So it's a fascinating course of study, especially if you really look back at to what a lot of these superstitions are based off of. Are you superstitious at all, Central? Look, I throw salt over my left shoulder into the eyes of a dink. <laughs> I, I don't have a black cat issue. Look, the number 13, I've always thought, is a wee bit lucky, more than unlucky. Uh, lucky 13. Lucky. I, I like the number 13. It's it's odd. It's got that sort of, I mean, maybe it's because I'm weird and odd that the, the mystique and almost dark energy that sort of sits around the number 13 is enticing for me. Maybe that's why I like it. I'm, I'm not sure. I like it too. I, I like it a lot as well. It's got a very interesting history to why it's considered unlucky depending on who you ask, of course, there's many different routes for all of these um, as to why 13 is considered unlucky. Uh, some people say it's because if you take all of the apostles and add Jesus, you get 13. Uh, it, I don't know. There's a lot of interesting little theories behind it. And David has the technical word for it. Uh, well, the fear of the number 13 is triskaidekaphobia. And there is, there is, Google it, there is a Triskaidekaphobian society. It's a fucking brilliant word, Triskaidekaphobia. I mean, seriously. It's sort of Greek, (laughs) but it's awesome. As authors, we love words. Now, Triskaidekaphobia, that's a brilliant word. It's a good one. And and for me, the legends around Friday the 13th, um, the ones that I've uh, sort of always found was around the Knights Templar. And the fact that um, the king and the pope conspired to arrest them all on Friday the 13th. And it became an unlucky day because all these guys with humongous honking great beards were carted off and tortured. And everyone else went, oh, not going there. And Friday the 13th became the bad day and, and the day to be feared and the day of reckoning. But as you say, there's all sorts of other stories as to where it comes from. Uh, see, there's also tetraphobia, which is the in Chinese culture, the fear of the number four. Four. Uh, they also have a fear in Japanese culture, the fear of the number four and nine combined, especially when it's connected with maternity wards, because 49 uh, can literally mean stillbirth. And four and nine together is 13. Yeah. Ah, look at that. Ah, look at all that getting all cryptic there. Oh, I got all goosebumpy. I got all goosebumpy. 
<laughs> well, I used to work in hotel. Um, I used to work in hotels way back. I was back in the UK, and the first two hotels I worked in did not have a room thirteen on any of their floors. And one of them, uh, apparently, the guy who designed the architect was a, a bit nutty, but had managed to work in the service elevators where room 13 ought to be. So the, the floors skipped from 11 up to 15 straight off. So there were no room 13s in that in the first two hotels I ever worked in. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty common. Uh, that's pretty common over here in the United States. A lot of um, skyscrapers and office towers and things like that will go straight from 12 to 14. So mm-hmm. technically the 14th floor is the 13th floor. I was going to say. Just people... People just don't want to know, you know, it's like, well, I guess if you just call it 14, it's not that bad, but it's like, oh no, you want, you want 13. You just don't want to think. Count the damn floors, people. It's still 13. I don't care what you call it. You can call a dog a cat. It's still going to be a damn dog. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. And of course, the most famous of all numbers, if you're looking at myths and legends and um, some half-naked dude on the bike driving past my car. How rude. Anyway, <laughs> um, myths and legends uh, is, of course, 666, one of the most famous numbers that have uh, myths and legends associated with it. The mark of the beast, 666. Now, it has a, oh, God, it has a big word that goes along with that. It's, it, anyone want to Google that one, you boys? Because you're better with... It's okay. I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to give it a go. So the fear of six 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 is hexacosio hexacota hexaphobia. Probably. <laughs> Even I. I mean, I can't. I'm not going to tell you if that's right or wrong because I, I couldn't promise you I'm right. It's got like sixty eight different letters involved. Confused. <laughs> Hexacosia, hexaconta, hexaphobia. Wow. Did you just do that? You think they would just come up with a word for like the fear of (laughs) specific numbers, you know, as opposed to making up an individual word for every single number. I mean, come on now. It should be. It should be. Of course. Now, um, that's if we're looking at uh, things that have have been linked into writing the horror genre, which, you know, superstitions and myths and all of that. Uh, right through the horror genre, and and uh, as so it should be the the six six six, the devil, least for whatever you want to call him, is you know a, a common one that that links around. Uh, I write paranormal, and of course I've got the Reaper involved in my book, and in one of my series I have uh, Lucifer, but he prefers the word loose. He's not a very formal mm. type of devil, mm. but you know it, it it runs through all of the genres. But I, it, that's almost like six six eight, which is the neighbor of the beast. We like that one a lot. Oh. The neighbor of the beast. That's pretty funny. <laughs> I'm only just sitting there going, so how do you get eight? Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, six six seven is across the street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, six six seven's over the way. They've got a better view, the, but mm. the extra five second delay on that thought pattern there. That's all. Um. So, Okay, so here's some advanced, here's a little bit of advanced superstition for everybody yeah. out there, because if I'm going to talk about superstition, I'm going to talk I'm gonna talk on the expert level here. Okay. Has anybody ever have, and, and David, I bet you may have heard of this, because you like kind of that weird, goofy shit. Anybody yeah. here ever hear of the religion of Discordia? No. A religion of Discordia. No, that's a new one on me. Discordia. Yeah, so Discord Discordianism was kind of a jokey religion that was based off of a book, but a lot of people got really into it. So if you want to pull out your Googlers and look up Discordia, that's fine. You get an idea. It's a lot of nonsense thrown together, but a lot of people really liked it to the point where a word was invented that is supposed to be a non-existent word that still exists that some people can see and some people cannot, and it's called an F-Nord, F-N-O-R-D. Either one of you guys mm-hmm. ever hear of that one? A, a, a F-Nord, it sounds Viking. It's supposed to just be like a made-up nonsense word, but it's also supposed to be everywhere. Like it's supposed to be in books and magazines and all kind of publications, but we just can't see it because we're not open. Now, normally that would just be some weird, cool little myth, whatever. 
but apparently somebody painted I can see the F Nords on the side of a bridge, like uh, somewhere in the UK, I believe, like back in the eighties. And they went out there and tore the bridge down shortly after. So I don't know. That's it awesome. probably has probably has nothing to do with either, but it's still kind of funny to think of. But yeah, look it up. It's a really weird just little uh, rabbit hole to go down. Yeah, but okay, suddenly it makes sense. Um it was in the Illuminatus trilogy. Um Yes. Okay. Um it's a wonder Dan Brown hasn't picked it up yet. Well, you know, you watch the Dan Brown, I mean, gosh, he's he's an amazing author to start off with. And I and I do enjoy reading his books and of course I have I love the movies that have been made from them. Uh and the crypticness of his writing is insane. Mm, yeah, no. it's it's easy reading. The man's made a fortune. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good stuff. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Now, what do you call them? F noids. F F Nord. F Nord. F N O R D. I'm thinking this is like a hemorrhoid. Is this it? <laughs> what? F Nord. Interesting. Yep. I'm gonna have to Google that and see that. Um, and it's everywhere, but we can't see it unless you are open. That's the legend behind it, on. right? insert eye open yes like if you're enlightened um if you're enlightened i suppose you, you can supposedly see it and i think the way the conspiracy behind them goes is that they kind of dictate sensations even though we can't see them they're designed to create certain uh, i guess you know uh, emotional manifestations within us that we're not even aware are there and that's supposed they're supposed to explain why you can be reading an article and suddenly become so emotionally enraptured by what you're reading there, even though it shouldn't affect you that way. Um, at least logically, you don't understand why it's racking you so hard. So that's, um, according to the legend, that's when you've just read an F Nord. Ah, interesting. Interesting. It's funny. Yeah, no, I haven't come across that at all. Mm. Now, ghostless ghost stories. Ghostless ghost stories. So, say if you're looking at uh, what well, urban legends are like modern day fairy tales, um, just as like say, you know, Little Red Riding Hood. There's no ghost in Little Red Riding Hood. There's a a wolf and a and a chick in a red cape, and you know Goldilocks. There's no ghost in that one either. And yet, when spread by oral tradition, urban uh, myths can take on very dark connotations to them. Uh, well, they always they always used to be all the all the proper fairy stories used to be cautionary tales to terrify naughty children. So oh, they were so dark, Riding, like all the yeah, really red riding got got uh, uh, grandma got eaten, and the woodcutter cut grandma out of the wolf's stomach with an axe. It was proper good stuff back in the day. But if you look at say today, where you have um, you know. Uh, Candyman. Oh, God, I still can't. I still can't say that three times in a mirror. I swear to God, I cannot say it three <laughs> times in a mirror. To this day, will not do it. I just on the off chance, just on the off chance, um, where you're looking at things that aren't real. You know, theoretically, the dude's not going to come out the mirror. Bloody Mary, theoretically not real. You're looking at Red Riding Hood. Okay, there's the woodsman. He's real. The wolf. He's real. Goldilocks, she's real. Grandma's real. These are all real things brought together to scare children to make sure they go to sleep or they don't go to the woods or they don't go alone or, you know, whatever, as opposed to today where I think we're a little bit more desensitized to this sort of stuff that we have to go a little bit more into the realm of the unknown in order to create the same scare. Yeah, I'd say a lot of modern modern day superstitions or what will become superstitions in a little while are the conspiracy theories. And it started with That's Bigfoot possible, yeah. and Area 51 and the Sasquatch. And then gradually it, it, it's changing. I'm sure in a few years time it'll be, you know, don't Google the number 666 or the devil will get you. There, there'll be something. Oh, when I was a kid, it was don't. When I was a kid, the big dare was always to dial six 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 on the phone. Oh, Uh, and uh, so we did all the time. And (laughs) there was there was a time when you could call it like if you did area code six, just pretty much all you know, just all sixes. You would get um, this weird little tone would play. Um, It kind of sounded like if either one of you remember, if you ever accidentally called a fax machine number. 
it, it was kind of similar to that. Yeah, it's just like a weird sound. And this was before dial-up modems gonna, and all that I was going to say, is this dial-up modem sound? Because no, this was like late 80s, out. early 90s. <laughs> yeah, so we didn't know what we were hearing, but it was so weird. It was like, okay, there you go. Um, now, here's a modern one for everybody right now that's kind of hot. It's actually not that new. It's been around for a few years, but have either one of y'all ever heard of the Sakaita 3301 project? No. No, you get that. This is something American share. share well, it's on draft. Reddit, so I guess it's like everywhere. But um, I actually started on 4chan. I'm sorry, but anyway, yeah. So it was one of those. It was one of those things where uh, it was a picture of like this moth or a cicada, I guess, like a bug, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it got posted to a board. And it was one of those things where it, it just says it's got the picture of the moth, and it says something like, "We are looking to recruit highly intelligent individuals for the ultimate." purpose and uh it said you know if you can solve the puzzles you can claim this job or whatever and all it was was a picture of this freaking you know moth and people started looking at it trying to figure out if they were being trolled or if it was ever and then they started to find all these clues hidden within just the message itself um and they, they kept going, they kept going, it kept leading them to these next steps all over. There's like something out of a fucking movie, but it was real. And uh, every year after that, it would keep popping up uh, looking for, well, actually at the end of that season or whatever, it would, they'd send another message saying, we've, we've selected our person, we are done, please stop completing the tasks now. Uh, and then about a year later, it would pop back up looking for somebody else. And um, oh, it, it, I don't think it's come this. back for a couple of years. I want to do this. I want to set something up like this. This sounds great. I love it. It's kind of like the Zodiac Killer without the killing part of it, isn't it? As far well, as was, you know. Well, it was a really like, so like people were going and they had to find these clues and there were physical clues. Like somebody from this went out in, in like Paris, Miami, uh, Fayetteville, and uh, Erskineville, wherever that is, and then Warzawa. in Sydney. <laughs> yeah, so oh. all over the world, people were coordinating to go out there and hang up these little posts, you know, these little flyers that I guess had the picture of the moth on there. So this wasn't just like some troll sitting in his mom's basement, like doing this. I mean, this was like it. Re- somebody was going out all over the world hanging these signs. So there was something to it, and they say some of the people that you know got really far into it were not seen like online again. Wow. They got their jobs. We, we're back to Dan Brown again, aren't we? That's a, a whole global, because that's an awesome idea. Though. That does sound interesting. And I mean, if you... Maybe that's where Pokemon Go got the idea. <laughs> <laughs> Is it possible? <laughs> Fuck Pokemon Go. I hate that shit. Anyway, I think I just lost probably half the viewers or half my followers straight away. Um, now... Slenderman's one of the one of the more modern myths, and I think it's sort of a, a modern take on your Bloody Mary, on your um, Candyman kind of factor to it. The the man seen was he very uh, nondescript kind of shadowy creature, I suppose that's that's found in the um, forests, uh, and. Uh, there's been images of him caught, and it, you know, primarily he's there to abduct people, often children. Uh, like, it, I suppose, more like a, a terrifying version of the Pied Piper. Uh, having... I think he is more of a Pied Piper type. Yeah, it's kind of what he's built around. So his his origin is actually from an image board kind of contest where it was make a creepy picture, and uh, this guy just kind of like superimposed this tall creepy faceless dude in the background of like a bunch of old black and white photos and put little like captions beneath them um but yeah he he would come and take children so yeah he was kind of a pied piper dude well look i've done quarantine with four children he can come and sing a song out the front of mine take them i don't care (laughs) (laughs) where's school going back again people where's school going back damn it Soon, <laughs> soon, please. We're going to have a whole horror podcast. It's just going to be me telling you what I've done. <laughs> okay, I don't need to come knocking on my door. It's all good. They're just joking. They just having a jest. It's all good. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
Well, look, hey, there's something I wanted to ask yeah. you guys, just, just thinking about the, uh, the topic for this week. Um, so I've got a friend who, whenever they start a new book, a new work in progress, whenever they start a new project, they have to have a brand new notepad. They, they can't, and, and they, they do some of their notes longhand on paper and then the rest electronically. So they have to have a brand new notepad every book they start. Is this friend me? Uh, no, I was going, but I was going to ask you guys: do, do you have anything? Do you have superstitions about how you write? Every time, every book, every book I write or every series has a new notebook that goes along with it. I don't, I don't plot. You know that I don't um, prepare my books in any way, shape, or form. But I do jot notes as they tell me things that I need to remember. I will jot shorthand, bullet point, whatever notes in a notebook, and each notebook will be assigned to a certain book that I'm writing it will not cross over to any other book and I will also add to it there are certain pens that go with that certain book that go with that certain novel yes I'm weird well Thomas Hardy had a new pencil every time he started a book so I guess well it just associates with it you know although say it's it's a series so like my halfway house series which is seven books that all goes in one notebook because those notes will carry through the entire thing. So it's not like I've got seven notebooks for one series. That all goes in one notebook. But, you know, I start the boner book, then that gets – he's a different book, that series, and so forth on. Anyway, I'm sure you understand. Jay, uh, Caleb, do you? I really don't. Um, I, uh, you know, in the words of Michael Scott, he once said, you know, I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little stitious. But <laughs> I am not even – I'm not even a little bit stitious. Um I, you know, I love the superstitions and the urban legends. I love this, you know, use them in writing and I love to be inspired by them a little bit, but I have never been a superstitious person whatsoever. There's a picture of me out there floating around somewhere of where I was sitting underneath a ladder holding an open umbrella with my black cat in my lap and I took it on Friday the 13th and uh, posted it out there. You're right. Um, <laughs> I, I love messing with superstitious people though. Like if I have a friend that is very superstitious, I, nothing gives me more pleasure than to just try and mess with him constantly about it. Um, but Why no, I'm just never. Me, Caleb? Why doesn't that surprise me? <laughs> I don't know. There's one over here that a lot of people, and I've never gotten this one. Apparently it's based out of, it's an old Italian one, I believe, but it's uh, the belief that if you eat, um, we call it red gravy over here, but whatever marinara sauce, spaghetti sauce, whatever you All right, call it. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. There's a belief that uh, women would put their period blood in it oh. um, if they wanted to, uh, if they wanted to take over a man's mind, I guess, and get him to marry her or uh, make him submissive or something like that. And I knew a guy, you know, as of like, I think in 2012 was the last time we talked about, it, he would not eat pizza. He would not eat spaghetti. He would not eat anything with red gravy. Because he believed that this could be happening. And I said, well, what if you order it from Domino's or something? He's like, he's like, I don't know. Maybe maybe the person takes the order over the phone, hears my voice, and decides that they want to meet me. I, he would not eat red gravy. He wouldn't just, touch it. I am so, like, okay, we're writers. We have very visual minds, okay? I have a visual mind. And so as you're telling me this story, I'm sitting there thinking, you know where you get those cows where they've put up all the little suckers on their udders to get the milk out? There's a, there's a row of women next to them. Just, oh, this is such a wrong, a wrong visual and wrong. <laughs> Getting the period blood into I, the sauce. I am not, I am not going well with this one. <laughs> that's, yeah, okay. You've been on the bending coach again. So this is, that's kind of, that's a little bit out there. Come I'm back. Visual Come mind. Back. That's all. I'm a creative person, David. I am a creative person. <laughs> Oh my God! Just yes, picture some are. Italian family over there, like, "Hey, we need to get a more of the blood into the sauce." <laughs> Mom, my more spaghetti. Oh, yeah. Ring out of that pad! Come on now. Eda, Eda, I don't. Oh, oh God! Oh, that's a whole different story, Fash. I can't go to there. Um. All right. All right. Oh, let's bring it back. Let's find out Zen again, shall we? All right. We're gonna we're gonna deviate off now. We're going to meet Cody Banning. Bannon, sorry, Bannon, B-A-N-O-N. Bannon. Find him on Twitter at the Cody Bannon. Um, he's our author today. David and I interviewed him and had a wonderful time. I hope you bookers thoroughly enjoy it and we will be back shortly. See ya.
author interview this week. I, uh, I'm an international best-selling author, Sintra Sullivan. Sometimes at the moment I'm more struggling <laughs> to find the words, but we're still, we're still there. It's all good. Uh, I have with me my uber-talented fantasy author co-host, David Atherton Cooper. David, how are you? Hi, I'm pretty good today. Yeah, it's all going all right down your end of the woods. It's weird and crazy, but hey, it's weird all over the place. So no, no, we're, we're pretty good today. Very good. Uh, we also have our guest author today, and and I will admit straight up that that this particular author I am new to interacting with. I do hope that I interact more with him uh, as our Twitter friendship progresses. But he is new to me, so I'll be finding out as much as the book is will this week. Uh, it's very exciting. So please welcome our author of this week, uh, Cody Bannon. Hi, Cody. Hey. How are you today? Uh, I mean, you know, just uh, just been writing and doing other stuff. I mean, I haven't been exactly uh, going out and curing cancer and uh, saving the world, so... Uh, I don't think just, any of us just, are allowed to go out and cure cancer at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. But we uh, have to stay yeah. home and experiment in the private of our, privacy of our own. Yeah. Not blow yep. up the basement while we do it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's get straight into it. Cody, I want to know our first question that we always ask every author, because it's fascinating to see how everybody's journey starts, is uh, what got you into writing? So, I mean, I've always had this uh, innate need to uh, express myself, my personality, my interests, and things like writing, drawing, and then uh, costume and prop design have been my most consistent way of doing it. As a kid, I wrote a lot of uh, short stories and fan fiction, but at the time, I didn't think much of it. Then, during my junior year of high school, I was sitting in this ruinously boring English class with my laptop open, and out of the blue, I got the idea of, hey, why don't I try writing a story and see how far I can get with it? It's better than sitting around listening to this dull, prickish teacher of mine blab on about some boring-ass book that shouldn't have been written. So, mm-hmm. I mean, because, and, and, you know, nobody ever really called me out on it, but I was saying, it's like, you know, they were really up our asses about career-related stuff in high school, so I figured I'd pick that as a career. So they're like, Cody, why are you writing? Because I can, because that's what I'm doing for a career. Now shut up. Ah, so you wanted to be a writer right from the word guide. This was a career choice of yours. Yeah. I mean, it's not the kind of thing that I thought of when I was a kid. I mean, I just kind of did it for fun. But then there's this moment where I think it's like, you know, even prior to that, you know, when I was in my, because this was um, my junior year of high school. And then in my uh, freshman and sophomore years, I mean, I was doing really well with uh, writing assignments and uh, stuff like that. And then, you know, it just it really came into full force in my junior year of high school. I even submitted an excerpt of a story I was working on to a writing competition, and I actually won for my grade level. So, so what age is that? Because I mean, I'm not, I can't speak on behalf of David, but being an Australian, we don't have sophomore and freshmore and all of that. Uh, I have no idea the concept of age group that you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. So in uh, in junior year of high school, if I remember correctly, that's like the 16 to 7 year old age range. Right. And then, you know, it's like 17 to 18, that's one year in senior year. And then obviously okay. it's like 15, 16, and then 14, 15. So. God, I feel like a late bloomer in my writing career. I didn't even think of writing. I mean, I was writing, but I was certainly not um, at that age. I was I was dancing. I was a dance teacher by 16, by oh, trade. Cool. So. I was certainly not thinking writing, but I'm a late bloomer. What about you, David? Were you thinking writing that early? Well, I kind of, I, I feel a lot, I, I feel quite close to Cody just because I used to scribble things when I was at school. I was quite good at English, um, English classes and, and got good grades. Um, but I got into the role-playing games pretty early on. I think probably about the age of about 10 or 11, first discovered Dungeons and Dragons. And it kind of, that was it. It's been a downhill slope ever since. And so kind of to to me, writing the stories that I write, it's almost like writing scenarios that I'm going to play out with my mates later on. Cody, I wanted to ask you, actually, does your role playing and and even your sort of cosplay experience feed into your writing at all? Uh, It does uh, to an extent. There are two main reasons. First one is uh, I sometimes get these ideas for or from role playing games and then just kind of realize how much, (coughs) excuse me, uh, potential they have as novels. 
because prior to the release of the only role-playing game I play, which is uh, Alien the role-playing game, because I'm nuts for the Alien franchise, uh, I had this idea for a story where a bunch of soldiers in this war desert and they become deep space looters. And I was like, that would be really cool to play out. And I thought of that many months before the game came out. And then while I was waiting for it to come out so I could, you know, try and play out the scenario, I was like, this story has a lot of potential. I really ought to act on it now. And I was definitely right in how it had huge potential because no bullshit. I finished it within 30 days time. It clocked in at 66,000 words. And then after I got some betas to help me clear, uh, come through it, I submitted it to my friend Jason, the founder of Just Salt Media. And I'm um, going to see if I can get it published through GM. No wow. Worries. 30 days, that's that's a good ride. That's a, that's an intense ride. I like that. Thank you. I've done it I've done it before, but it's um it's one of those it's very rare. Everyone's not yeah, it's rare because it's where you have to really immerse yourself. You have to have that time where nothing else exists, just these these words that will not stop flowing. And it's a fantastic uh, experience to have. I do I do love it. Um what I wanted to know is, what is your usual uh, genre? Do you write? Obviously, sci-fi is uh, primarily where you go with your writing. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, I'm just absolutely nuts for sci-fi. And I will say the horror comes in at a very close second to the point where the difference between them is practically non-existent. Because I will say, as a general rule with me, if you ever read anything that I write that is or has sci-fi elements, there will always be horror in it at some point or another so they do cross over quite often oh I yeah mean, i mean that's the thing with genres in in general isn't it i don't think any single one of us as an author can write one specific genre and only one specific yeah. genre i think you know okay so i write uh, humor but within my humor it could be un- it could be paranormal it could be romance it could be mystery whatever i just have the humor genre that runs through everything so I think quite often most of us all write uh, multiple genres. Within yeah, it's definitely. Oh, sorry. I mean, it's definitely interesting that you um, you mentioned that because I mean, something I was um, I've just been thinking about is that I've lately had this uh, one of everything sort of approach for writing. I mean, I'm just trying. I mean, I I'm obviously mainly all about sci-fi, but I've had other ideas for. I mean, after finishing the sci-fi novel that I submitted to Just All Media. Uh, I was working on a young adult fantasy novel and got fairly far in that. And then I postponed that to write uh, this current post-apocalyptic novel that I uh, that I based on a short story that I entered for last month's uh, short story contest for just all media. Awesome. Nice. Because I find... A little like intro, I guess. Primarily, everything I write is, has a fantasy theme or flavor to it. But I'll hop between uh, far future space opera, some classic nice. epic fantasy. Just move it around. But there's like you with horror. There's always it always has that touchstone somewhere in the writing. Um, I think possibly a lot of us uh, have that. Hey, look, I was I was stalking your your Twitter feed and congratulations you made me google something what the hell is a deuterogonist when he's at home please enlighten me <laughs> or a trotagonist okay. okay so uh and i and i probably butchered that pronunciation i don't think i've ever actually really heard it said aloud before but by the definition that i understand it's a character who's second fiddle to the protagonist I would take a gamble in saying that not every story has one, and then certain cases, like the novel I started about two weeks ago, the one based on the short story, it's very gray as to who they are in the story, because the short story that I submitted um, had one cast. This one has two. Uh, There's a a team of uh, military special forces and then a group of teenagers in Texas. Both of those have their own protagonists, and each one has four other main characters in the two casts. I obviously figured, I mean, in one of them, I figured out right away who the deuteragonist is, but the other one, there are potentially two, and I'm not sure who, if either, is the uh, is the dominant one. Cool. Because actually, my, my main storyline um, is an ensemble, and I tell 
depending on the scenes, part of the way I try and keep the thread moving is I'll tell from tell certain scenes from one perspective and some from another. So I've never known the terminology for the, you know, second most important viewpoint and the third and fourth. So thank you. That's that's awesome. I have yes. learned now. You got it, man. I mean, I. Word. It's. I love to make people Google words, and I'm looking at it on the screen, just going, "Yeah, I'm not even trying it." <laughs> yeah, I mean, they. Yeah, my uh, my education. Uh, I mean, not in terms of like my uh, performance in it, but just in terms of the school system I was in. It really sucked because they they really didn't teach anything <clears throat> that I considered entirely worthwhile. Um, and so a lot of this stuff in terms of writing is stuff I've found out on my own or learned through experience or learned from the folks in the writing community on Twitter. So, I mean, that's just one of those things that I don't remember if it was really taught in high school. And if it was, it was like, oh, by the way, Deuteragonist is the, is the second most important character. Moving on. Yeah, I've, I've always thought you, you, school is where you go to be taught stuff, but learning is what you do by yourself and for yourself exactly. yeah, when school's makes... finished. Oh, <laughs> just... yeah. I completely <laughs> agree, uh, and quite often when I see, and this this is this may fire up some feedback from my listeners, and that's all right. <laughs> I don't mind a little feedback. Let's let's spice it up a little bit with me. Um, I find sometimes that the younger the writer, the less the experience where an older writer has more wisdom because they've learned a little bit more of the world as opposed to what the teachers or the classroom uh, per, per se teach you. So I, I quite often find maybe it's just because I'm an old lady that I relate better to, <laughs> to words written, you know, by, by a more – and it does, and I would say mature, but I don't necessarily mean by numbers. I do mean just by life experiences. You can be, you know, 21 and have all the experiences that I have under my belt at <clears> – <throat> not going to say how old but you know uh you know what i mean it's life experience yeah. give a lot of flavor and a lot more color and depth to your writing uh, as opposed to what they teach in the classroom i think um so with this uh lockdown which we're all experiencing around the world how are you going specifically with your re with your writing is it affecting how your creativity is flowing or is it stifling How's it going? How's your words going, Cody? Well, I mean, I've definitely been uh, thunderbolting through it during the, uh, <clears throat> I mean, that's just been the silver lining of this situation in terms of, uh, you know, I just, I mean, well, for one thing, it did actually, uh, it's a good thing you mentioned the influence on my creativity because the whole idea I had with um, writing the short story, uh, Servants of Nature, that then became my current project, um, it you know, like the whole the whole thing of a pandemic and the effects it has on people, <clears throat> excuse me, um, is very interesting. I mean, it's not des not necessarily pleasant when you're in in the middle of it, but uh, yeah, I just decided to write a story that was entertaining but paralleled that a lot. Um, and uh, I mean, that's just uh, I obviously you know spiced it up, made a lot more like sci-fi and horror elements to it, uh, and I. I definitely paralleled a lot of things, like, for example, how, uh, obviously, I mean, I've I've heard from people that apparently the whole thing, I mean, not to get all political, and uh, but in terms of the Chinese government not necessarily being a lot upfront about the coronavirus, I mean, correct me if I'm mistaken on that, but, um, I mean, I had that, like, uh, I'll, a little spoiler for this novel, you know, consider the what the book special is, um, how there's something going on in uh, Kaliningrad, the Russian enclave, uh, north of Poland. And Russians are not exactly open with that, and that causes problems for everybody else. So, I mean, that's just kind of a parallel of what I'm kind of getting at. Originally, it was going to be the Chinese, but I was like, you know, there's better opportunities if, if I move it a little more west. So. Ah, oh, so we've just got a sneak peek into your newest working project. You betcha. Oh, I love it. I love it. Hear that book Cody's given as a sneak peek. And that sounds like a really interesting story and certainly does um, uh, play well with our current situation. A lot of yep. people will be able to relate to it. Um, yeah, David. because... Oh. David, did you have a question? 
Uh, well, actually, I, I was just going to reflect. It, it's been interesting just literally the last week um, trying to translate or subconsciously translate what's going on here into a fantasy setting. One of uh, one of the set piece battles in inverted commas in my main work in progress is a city that get, a whole county uh, gets infected with a, a mysterious plague. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, as contagious as Corona, as it turns out, uh, far more catastrophic for the people who get it. Um, and so seeing what's been going on here, I'm like, OK, fine. In, in a fantasy world, you don't have the Internet and all the communications. But the reactions that people have had to the news of plague spreading has, has helped me write and bring that whole scene and sequence to life quite nicely. But um yeah, it feels sort of slightly awkward writing it because it's a bit close to home right now. But also it's like, oh, fabulous inspiration. Scribble, scribble, scribble. It's been good. Um, <laughs> Cody, one of the things we ask everybody and um, Zintra and I differ in this as to our approaches. <laughs> so we'll have to ask, are you a plotter or a dreamer? How do you approach writing your stuff? Uh, a dreamer? I haven't heard that before. You mean like a pantser? Uh, you could be a panster. Uh, we we we're trying to move away from that term. We we're calling it dreaming. Oh, okay. Well, then I'll I'll roll with that. So I would say, a dreamer to be sure. I have tried plotting before because a project that I temporarily put on hold, the fantasy novel that I mentioned, that thing is almost entirely plotted. This mm-hmm. book, I tried plotting a little bit, but then I just decided to deal with it one chapter at a time. My general strategy right now is to write one chapter every night as a goal and it's actually been working really well for me um dreaming all of it by this point and what little plotting i do is all in my head i mean i have a good sense of where the story's going and what will happen next but i just don't bother to write it down so nice because i mean so you- in short i just kind of wing it but i do have a sense of what's going to happen i just don't know when it's going to happen and you keep no notes i make Notes sometimes like my idea of notes is honestly I think of these quotes and scenes and descriptions and stuff like that um, and then I write them down and then I just look for the best place to plug them into the uh, to the story because like so there I, I do a lot of polls on my Twitter feed asking for uh, like how would you describe this is this a good idea how would you describe the sound and stuff and like one thing I did is uh, there's this very unique sounding uh, rifle shot. Uh, from a game I've played before and I was like how would you describe this because I've heard I mean when I'm writing the story and the the special forces team characters are firing their weapons this is what I hear how would you describe that and so you know people you know they gave me some answers and I wrote down the answers and then when the time comes to have like you know gunfights then I will put that description in that's just the kind of thing or I write down quotes and it's like well this quote could be better used here so I take that and write it down so Fascinating, because I keep, I, I'm a, as David said, we write very uh, differently. He likes to plot everything out, and I don't plot from sentence to sentence. I just roll with my characters, and whatever they want to do is where we're driving. So, But I do keep a, a notebook per, per novel that I have, uh, because quite often when I've, when I've got, like, a big series to write, I don't write them consecutively. I'll swip and swap in between different series, different genres, and whatever, because it just keeps everything fresh in my head. Uh, so when I need to go back to a, a, a series that I may not have written a book in for, you know, six months, I need to just look, look back quickly through my notebook, which is assigned to the one series, not the one book, could it be to the series, and just, like, recap. Oh, yeah, that's who you all are. Ah, oh, I got you all now. No problem, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little cheat sheet. <laughs> Well, I have a similar struggle, Cody, to you in that I, I, I can sometimes if I can, I can see a scene, particularly a fight scene going on, and I struggle with the with with describing the sound. So, how do you spell? That's a hard one. Yeah. Or, when someone draws draws a blade, shing I can almost do, but is a hard. That's that's really a difficult one to get right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, because the. Uh... The, the example I cited before about uh, the, the assault rifle that I mentioned before is that I have I was absolutely blanking on what exactly to describe because in my head for some reason the word beating for some I, I don't know why it's stuck there but it has like this very rhythmic sort of sound and I've heard I've, what 
other books I've read, and you know, I've, I've heard like thundering and roaring as terms for you know guns going full auto, and it's like, well, that doesn't really seem the best fit for this description, which is why I then asked like, hey guys, how would you describe this sound? Like, what does that sound like to you? And then I got a bunch of answers saying like clattering, rattling, that sort of stuff, like metallic, you know, all this other stuff. Yeah, the, the ratcheting. I mean, if they're special forces, they're probably trying to be vaguely covered, even with an assault rifle. So you don't. Yeah. It, it's not going to be a banging sound. Yeah, mm. they they have those silencers and stuff on them. So. Yeah. And you know what? The double-edged sword, as opposed to the gun, with doing that, Cody, is that you also build up a interaction level with your followers. So they feel part of your stories and they feel invested in how you're writing and the words that you're using, which means then when those books come out, they want to see what they've done with them. They want to see what you've written. And, and you know, this all translates down into sales. So well done on that, Cody. It's a great marketing and social management skill to have. I mean, I didn't I didn't even realize it was that. I mean, I just it was like, well, I'm just asking for help. You know, I have a lot of. A lot of good friends that I've made. I mean, you cited Abby as one of them. She's really great. Uh, but just, you know, people, so many people that I've met here that, you know, I just, I ask, I ask these questions, run these polls, and they get, I mean, the amount of comments that I get and votes I get on the polls absolutely blow my mind. It's, it's a great marketing technique, trust me. And it will... Uh, in in the long run, not only build up your followers, which build your platform, which builds your stage to launch your books. It's all really, really clever and well done. Please continue doing it. It's um. Will do. I didn't uh, I didn't even realize I was doing that, and well, it's good to know. Not new authors quite often don't realize is that even just asking what you might just seem uh, or might just think is a flip off question, uh, but getting that interaction on your feed gets you seen, and getting seen get your platform building so um smart move now okay we're gonna have to pull this up as i could talk to you for ages cody you're very <laughs> very uh, fascinating thank you and i must say that um because yeah, i see your picture on your profile uh your voice does not match your you're a lot deeper voice than what i thought you were gonna have <laughs> <laughs> i mean for me i i always picture myself sounding like the uh the teacher from ferris bueller's day off the really monotone <laughs> guy <laughs> Anyone? Anyone? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Cody, tell us, where can the bookers find you? Where will they hunt you down? Uh, At my house, but uh, I'm just joking. You don't don't want that. Yeah, I don't. (laughs) Yeah, um, but uh, in terms of uh, Twitter, I mean, I'm very, very, very active on Twitter at the Cody Bannon. So... um, and that's I mean, where they I, find you the most to be able to interact with you. You got it. Fantastic. That's at the Cody Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N. Follow him, bookers. He is one to watch out for. Uh, David, where are your links? Let's tell the bookers where to find you too. The best place to track me down is at Kung Fu Ponder on the Twitter, as always. Always. And me, just put my name in, and I'll be popping up somewhere. It's, I'm everywhere. It doesn't matter. Just pop my name in, search engine, find me. And, of course, yeah. our Twitter page, What the Book Podcast. Find us, like our page, interact with us, give us some feedback. Um, okay. Thank you so much, Cody, for joining us today. We really Thank appreciate you for having your me. time. And, David, I will see you back on the podcast feed. You will, Cody. It's been great chatting to you. I look forward Likewise, to thank carrying you. this on on the Twitter and see where it takes us. You got it. All right. Thank you, bookers. See you next week. Bye. Welcome back, bookers. That was our interview with Cody Bannon. I hope you enjoyed and hopefully we'll get him back on the show sometime soon to carry that one on. So we're talking about all things superstition and how it takes us into a whole realm of creative writing and maybe even horror. Um, but one thing, guys, I wanted to perhaps ask you about, because I find in, in my writing, maybe this is just because I write fantasy, but I've, I've ended up inventing a bunch of superstitions for my characters because I think it adds a bit of flavor. Um, so I have a lot going on. Uh, with salt. Salt is a magical element, so people will spit salt on the ground uh, to avoid evil uh, when 
when the cultists weep, they shed salt upon the icon of their god and the dark god comes alive and claims their sacrifices. So salt is a big thing with mine. Um, and the other, the other interesting one I came up with was I've got a story uh, set in the real world, but uh, the demons are coming and uh, the characters have got to paint themselves blue because these particular demons live in hell and it's a very red, fiery place and they can't see into the blue end of the spectrum. So you paint yourself blue and you disappear and you're invisible to the demons. So I've got a couple of superstitions. I just wondered if you guys have got any that you could come up with and maybe suggest as a, a new superstition we could take away. Caleb, what do you got? Okay, so um, the one that I like, because I always grew up in apartments all my life, and you know, usually sometimes I have one that's vacant next door to you or above you, and uh, this one's actually kind of based off of uh, something from when I was a kid. Um, when I used to get home from school, my uh, my mother would usually be at work for a few more hours, so I'd have the place to myself, and when I was little, like under 10, I would love to run back to her room and jump on her bed, because it was like being on a trampoline, and I didn't realize that the headboard was hitting the wall, which eventually really pissed off the people on the other side of that wall. I didn't even think about that. And then one day I'm back there just jumping on the bed after school, full of energy and a great mood. And suddenly this massive slamming just takes over the room from that, from, you know, from the other apartment. In, in that moment, I didn't think that that's what it was. All I knew is it was just suddenly this huge bang on the wall, freaked me out, run out the room. And that's what kind of inspired me to later come up with this idea that, uh, you know, if the apartment next door to you is vacant, don't knock on the walls. Because if something does return the knock, it's going to come over to meet you. And if nobody's living in there, what return that knock? Mm, like it. Nice one. It's kind of like Beetlejuice, isn't it? You know, when they draw the wall, they draw it, the door on the wall and knock on it and it suddenly just opens up. It's kind of creepy if you knock on a wall and it knocks back. Is it from the other apartment or is it something living within the walls? That's a good one, Caleb. I like that one. Thank Scary. You very much. You should write a book That's about fine. that one. I just might. <laughs> the, the, the wall that knocked back. Oh. They were onto painting, something. And painting myself blue. I could do that. I could do totally smurf it. I remember being at a conference. <laughs> one year and uh, a bunch of Smurfs turned up there and uh, at the time I'm just sitting there going how the fuck are you keeping all that paint on your body people it's like 40 degrees outside what the hell little did you know it was not it it wasn't paint it was actually just them fucking freezing to death I going to say yeah how how sure are you that was paint mum dad and three kids all dressed up as Smurfs and I'm just like oh that's a lot of paint that's a it's a lot of effort. I, I'm, I, at that point, I came to the conclusion that I'm a lazy parent because I just thought, ah, oh, fuck that. Um, well, you know what they say, the family that smurfs together. <laughs> what together? Yeah, <laughs> loves together. I don't know. <laughs> Queensland, strange place. So what have you got, Zen? What have you got for us? All right, a superstition, a superstition. Um, I always find graveyards really creepy places to be. Well, creepy and beautiful. Uh, they're inspiring, especially of myths. And if you're a, a horror writer, um, graveyards can play a massive part in story development, story setting, uh, where, you know, your ghouls or your zombies or wherever may, in, in, in fact, actually, you know, come from. So perhaps uh, a superstition would be if you are walking past a graveyard and somebody asks you to help dig a hole, don't. Just keep walking. It's probably not going to end up in your favour. Mm, creepy. Well, I like a graveyard. Have either of you boys spent time in a graveyard just hanging out? Oh, so much. No? So much time. Oh, you have? Oh, I used to be a ghost hunter. Like I spent hours and hours in graveyards. The things I learn about you, Caleb. The things I learn about you. But they are amazing places. I I do a lot of photography in my spare time when I'm not writing, and graveyards are amazing places for for photos. Now, you've got to be respectful, sure. Yes, they are. But there's some just some funky stuff in, in graveyards, particularly the really old ones. Back in the UK, some of the you get gravestones covered in moss, and you you can not quite read who they're for. Oh yeah, they're wonderful places. Okay, but hang on. I actually was thinking about graveyards 
this morning on a different realm, perhaps, because I'm still in quarantine with four kids. Anyway, again, don't train me, FBI. I'm all good. Um, what are the, le- the legalities on photos with a graveyard, though? Like, because you're – is that a public – Is it a, it's a public space, isn't it? A graveyard would be classed as a public area. Um, Technically, it is. And usually the, the guidance is you don't want to publish – pictures with identifiable gravestones unless you've got a release you'd have to write to the authorities and say hey you know yeah. i've got this i want to publish it so this is what i was thinking i'd love to go and and you know um take photo i'd like to take well i, I want to go take boner to a graveyard and get some photos with him but um i thought well what are the legalities with you know names dates of birth dates of death uh, that sort of thing that you'd be you know airing i guess or showing as to whether that's legal or not i would hate to get somebody come back and bite me on the ass because i'd showed off well if somebody comes back from the graveyard uh, (laughs) i don't i think you're gonna have more to work definitely don't want them biting your ass (laughs) yeah it's probably gonna be a zombie and now you're gonna be a zombie because it bit you oh well you know there's worse ways to go i guess can we just have the slow moving zombies? Those World War Z zombies. I can't do that shit. I can't run that fast. So we have to have the slow ones, the ones that just plod along nicely. I can do that. I can outrun them. Um I would say, you know, if you want to keep a tasteful though, only take pictures um where the date of death is like a very long time ago, because odds are their fucking relatives are not around anymore to even get butt hurt and come after you for it. So you'll be fine. Oh my! Um, just don't. Yeah. yeah, somebody died. If somebody died last week or something, like maybe not. <laughs> no, but the- yeah, you find somebody who died in like 1930. Who the fuck's going to be around to even, you know, to even do it, right? No, no freshies. No, no fresh turned soil. No. Yeah, no freshies. And I guess if you angled it on a certain way, you could probably hit the light where it would blur off a portion of the identifying features. It just it was. Well, just here's the thing, though. I don't think. I don't believe it's private information. It's listed on the tombstone, which is right there for anybody to fucking see. So I can't imagine how that's like private. You're writing it on a, you know, you're writing it on a surface and sticking it, you know, in public view. So I, I, it's the tombstone is there to be read. Is it not? This is where my my thoughts patterns were. Is it, this is a public area. Uh, this information's put in newspapers, in obituaries, and so forth. On theoretically, it's just the name, date of birth, and death. Is I, I, I must Google it to find out what the legalities of that is, because it's something that I'd be intrigued with knowing. I mean, it could be country by country. I know in the United States, it's not illegal um, to. I mean, there's uh, cemetery photography is like all over the place. It, it's sold, posted all the time. I've posted more pictures of me in graveyards that I can fucking count. Yeah. Um, but it I would say- to, it's not necessarily the, the legal angle is the just potential for members of the public getting irate and annoyed. There you so go. Generally, I, I was, it's like her, the really, <laughs> so if I was to write um, a story and include factual exact details of graves in a graveyard, I'd probably want to actually speak to the families first to say, hey, I'm going to include this. Do you mind? And it'd be the same with a photo. If, if it is possible to pick out the name or the date of death on a tombstone, whoever is being commemorated, then probably you'd be as well to ask any relatives for, for permission first. But I think legally you're allowed to take the photo because, as you say, it's a public So space. you're talking it just then comes down morally to... versus legality. Yes. Okay. Because, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, I, I'm not talking about some, you know, rich estate who has a private graveyard in the back that I'd have to jump a, a fence in order to, 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 you know, go and see. But just, you know, general, everyday, what would my dad call Look, it? Look, follow the general rules. Don't, don't take, just follow your basic rules. Don't take, you know, don't use a child's grave or anything like that. Follow your basic rules of sensitivities yeah. and you'll be fine. That's read. all you got to do. You just like, don't stand don't, directly don't on it. <laughs> you just yeah, don't take the hands off a mannequin and stick them on top of the grave <laughs> as though it's reaching out. Because um, somebody won't get the joke. Okay, David, you're just a spoil sport now. I just, I don't really. 
this was my Halloween fun this year was to do that. <laughs> and yet now I can't. Fine. Um, so there was a, a, a tweet of the week that I want to talk about. Um, doesn't really have anything to do with the horror genre. It has more to do with writing, with something that we were discussing last podcast, I do believe. Um, Mm -hmm. that, uh, yes, because we were talking publishers and, uh, agents and so forth on. Now, the one that I'm going to read is actually, I saw, I I got tagged in one that said she had, she had queried 243 agents over two years to get her yes, got her yes, got her book published. Now that's determination if you want something you will get it eventually if you don't give up now this particular I got tagged in that because I was having a bit twinge um about me and my one that I'm trying to query so rejections had got a little on top of me and I was having a bit twinge and I got tagged in that guy see look you're not even close to it fucking saddle, saddle up princess is what the words were anyway this tweet that I saw just not that long ago is from Kari Scribner. Now she's a uh, her Twitter handle is at Kari C A R I Scribner S C R I B N E R one Kari Scribner. Now Kari, I don't actually follow Kari when I found this tweet. It just happened to pop up on my feed. I now follow her, and I suggest everybody else does too. Now she wrote, <clears throat> "I jumped through all the hoops, queried hundreds of agents, networked." meditated, revised, but refused to give up. Suddenly this month, two publishers are taking a look at my novel and it's surreal. Congratulations, Kari. Getting somebody to even look at your novel is quite a feat and I wish her the greatest success. The thing that I wanted to make point of is never giving up. It's um... Hashtag never give up, John Cena. John Cena. Now, how many times have I, you wouldn't even believe the tweets that I'm going in his DM at the moment. Because I don't know if bookers know this, but John Cena follows me. I follow him. Uh, The real John Cena. Uh, And I am doing my best to get him to come on and um, give us 15 minutes uh, as an author interview for his children's book. So far, no success, but I will not give up. I will get That's right. So if you know John Cena, please tell him we're looking for him. I will not give up. I will get him on What the Book podcast. <laughs> Hear me now. <laughs> it might take me two years, but I'll get there. <laughs> and then we'll be somebody's tweet of the week. <laughs> that would be somebody's tweet of the week, wouldn't it? Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to to put out there that, you know, a lot of it, especially at the moment, it's it's hard. It's hard to find our creativity, not for Caleb. He's charging along beautifully. Uh, he's just like an energy ball of bunny rabbits i don't know i, I would love to zap him and just intravenously hook into him and suck a little bit out sounded, okay sounded kinkier <laughs> than i intended but you know whatever um, uh, i don't mind <laughs> guys guys get a room <laughs> um but you know there's a lot of people out there that are, are struggling um not just with creativity, but with querying and whatever else. And I just wanted to give them a, yeah, we can do it. Just keep on going vibe. That's all, you know. And speaking of us helping people help themselves, we have, what, two shout-outs that have gone uh, live now from us? Yes, we do. We do. And I've got a third one coming up. Um, I liked yours with Kaya. It was very professional. You certainly said you are very high. Uh, and then I came along. And <laughs> just I liked yours. I liked yours very much as well. Though. <laughs> I think we both did a very, well, let's just agree that we're both awesome and just uh, enjoy that. Well, this is, this is the, the factor with, uh, with the, the shout outs is that uh, we do, we're, all three of us will do it very differently and mm-hmm. we all get the same information out there. It just, it's how you wish it to be done. You know, uh, you go loud and, and bold and boisterous, go Caleb. You want classy and sophisticated, go David. If you want 
silly and weird go me. It's, you know, it's just the way the three of us work well together and can offer you the bookers however you want to do it. Yeah. So you make sure you follow us at WTB Podcast on Twitter or any of our individual accounts. And if you want a little two-minute shout-out where we will just boost you up to the cloud, go right on ahead and ask. We'll be more than happy to do it for you. David's hanging out for his first one. Come on, bookers. Uh, absolutely. Like you said, classy, a little bit of style, but with passion. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, everything that I'm not. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> I love it. It's awesome. Uh, I love doing it. And of course, bookers, we have it. Um, they're all up on our YouTube channel. So please, Caleb, do you know our YouTube channel, uh, like uh, URL for that? I don't know. Is it just What the Book? It's What the Book on YouTube. Um, so yeah, you're going to have to probably scroll around for it a little bit because we are still small. But yes, it is called What the Book. Uh, check yeah. that out. We will. We finally found a purpose for our YouTube. It's going to be, I guess, we can call that like maybe auxiliary purpose. Would that be fair to say there, guys? Um, I, I think just, so. I think so. Mm-hmm. I think we put. We're going to put out. things, the shout outs and other little cool promotional things that we might want to share. Anything that's not quite, you know, for the podcast itself. I and think. more visuals, of course. So we're doing more the video oh. side, roaming on that. Uh, where you hear you're just stuck listening to the the dulcet tones of the three of us. Um, there it is. <laughs> talking about whatever whatever springs into our pretty little heads. Pretty little heads. Okay, so um, our Friday, no, it's not Friday, our Sunday, the 8th, or 9th, Mother's Day, 13th, lucky 13th episode. Uh, looks like we are done, boys. Anything mm-hmm. that you want yeah. to have our last say? Um, uh, well, look, I'm, I might just make a last little plug because it's a, a bit of favourite of mine and it, it's a great source of stories. But, Caleb, uh, your superstition about never knock on the walls of an empty apartment because someone will knock back. Um, if you guys are ever stuck for something to listen to instead of just to read, uh, there's a podcast called The Drabblecast. And if you find the Drabble cast to whatever, definitely give that a listen. Because that's something that knocks knocks back when you knock on the wall. Oh, wow, cool. Interesting. Um, hey, I just want to say, um, Cintra and to all the other uh, wonderful mothers out there, happy Mother's Day from your good buddy, Cave and Kellum. And uh, I love you all out there. Yeah, we do our best to get shit done on a daily basis. Um, of course, uh, Kay Banning Callum, check him out on Twitter and, uh, that Kung, Kung, (laughs) 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 tell me, tell me a Twitter Uh -uh. thing. (laughs) You can find me at Kung Fu Ponda. There you go, see? (laughs) Didn't get the Dak thing involved. I really shouldn't have been drinking before I did this podcast. Um, and of course me, Cynthia Sullivan, find me wherever I'll be there. Uh, check us out on Twitter, what the book podcast, um, come interact. This is, is us here for you, working for you, promoting you. Uh, thanks for listening bookers. We'll see you next week. Bye. Good night.